Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Uh, Today, we're looking at Ascension Tactics. And we're going to have a design discussion about tactical movement in games as well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is not Ascension Tactics, but uh, for me, it's going to be most interesting to look at tactical movement in dungeon crawlers, because I have some thoughts and complaints. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, you know, there isn't that much tactical movement, but the more I thought about it, you have movement in Pandemic, which is very different than tactical movement mm-hmm. in something like Ascension Tactics, which is very different than something like Dungeon Crawls. But I was thinking mostly Dungeon Crawls, too, because I know we worked very hard on making tactical movement important in uh, a game that we've been working on we'll talk a little bit about that at the end as well but before we That's get right. started we should probably thank some people right we should we should uh yes so we have some amazing patrons and we've gotten a lot more ever since we started doing exclusive content so uh if you didn't know we have at least two exclusive videos on our patreon channel every month you cannot see them anywhere else i've done a lot of top 10 lists peter and i've done like bonus discussions uh for for the podcast and uh, we also, I've been doing a, a new series where I uh, rank all the games I've ever played from a given game company. I've done Simon and Fantasy Flight so far. So uh, lots of fun stuff over there. And we really appreciate the patrons supporting us, helping us put on the podcast, helping us uh, keep the channel running, get games, get equipment. Uh, this week, we'd like to thank Joel Marrero, uh, Lowell Hamilton, and Callum. So uh, Joel, Lowell, and Callum, thanks so much for your support, and thanks to all our Patreon supporters. And really thanks to everyone who's a subscriber on the YouTube channel, uh, either one who's on our Discord, who's uh, rated us for the podcast. Uh, All that stuff helps, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, by the way, we are doing this live on the One Stop Co-op Shop stream YouTube channel. So if you want to watch us live every week, we usually do it the Tuesday before the Sunday it goes up if that makes sense. But it's going to be pretty random, so the best thing you can do is subscribe to the channel, and uh, you will see it there when it pops up in the uh, subscription. Yeah, so uh, before we get into our discussion of Ascension, Peter, what have you been playing recently? I know you had uh, you had like a, a week or a partial week away, right, where you played a town with your family? Absolutely. And uh, I'll talk about that first. So we got a game to the table, which I can't remember if we talked much about. I think we talked about it a little bit in our PAX discussion, but that was... Oh. So Clover, I I, I was anticipating what you were going to say. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yes. So it was so Clover and uh, had a ton of fun with that with the family. I think one of your concerns with the game did pop up after several plays in a row. So it was one of those games, the way it works, if you haven't played it before, it's very similar, but very different to just one to me, where you basically have four sets of two words, and I'm not going to describe the whole mechanisms, but you have four sets of two words, and you have to basically give somebody a clue for those two word sets. They're cards and they twist around in certain ways, but bottom line is you're trying to get people to guess your four cards in this specific orientation by giving them word clues. And as the clue giver, it can get frustrating sometimes when people aren't getting it. Or as guessers, if you're not working as a team, which tends to happen with 10 and 14-year-old children where they don't always agree with each other, there was a little bit of arguments there, but not the first few games. They loved it. They loved it. They loved it. Then by, I noticed it was the third game of the night. So we're playing four players. And in four players, you each do your board once, and that's a full game. 
So we played two games and it was just fine. And then the third game, it kind of blew up the first night. And then we did it again the next night. Same thing, third game. So I think two games the max for the Gooses family. I mean, that, that's that's an entirely good like little gaming taste there. You don't have to go any deeper than two games, right? I mean, it's quite a bit of time. I mean, you know, it, it's, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes per game. So, I mean, you're getting good value out of it, I think. And the fact that we could play it back-to-back nights and that hostility didn't transfer from one night to the next was a good thing, I think. Yeah, I definitely need to play that one again. Um, I was so in love with Letter Jam, which is a kind of similar game in some ways uh, at PAX that So Clover didn't like grab me as much, but I, I want to play it again for sure. Yeah, so that's my first one, but we'll, we'll talk about some more because I have played quite a few. So what's, uh, what's your first one? One that I was supposed to do this Saturday on the channel, but it got pushed back. Uh, Isla and Something Shiny. I think uh, both Steve and Berndt did videos of this back when it was on Kickstarter. This is a narrative, choose-your-own-adventure, and it sort of has uh, the paleo mechanic, Peter, where you're like going through a deck multiple times, but the deck is like changing and cards are getting added and stuff. It's a solo-only game, but I've, uh, <laughs> I've devoured this game. I-, I have absolutely adored this game. I'm kind of giving uh, some spoilers for my review later. But I-, I played it myself through four or five times, like all five scenarios, and this is a game that, like, has limited content in it, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of see stuff. Now, there there are some things you can do for, like, secret endings and some uh, advanced modes you can add on to it. But, yeah, I've just been enjoying, like, trying out different builds and stuff so much that I played it through a bunch myself. I played it through with my nine-year-old multiple times. He wanted to keep on playing until he got the best ending. He even played a bunch on his own. Like, he was solo gaming on his own, which is awesome. Oh, nice. I played it with my six-year-old all the way through once, and then he wanted to replay a couple of the scenarios. I'm uh, keeping it to play with my wife all the way through. So, yeah, I, I adore the story in this one, the paleo mechanic. It's not, you know, it's not as amazing as paleo, not as varied as paleo, but it's very good. They have beautiful illustration for it. So I can I can fully recommend this one for anybody who likes choose your own adventure games. It's just really excellent. So, yeah, it's Isla and something shiny. And you can borrow it, Peter, if you want. I don't know how much you're into, like, the narrative things, but your kids might like it. Yeah, we can definitely check it out for sure. All right. So my next one I actually just played today. And it's one of my favorite games of all time. And I played with Allison at her request. Any idea? It's a game I've had on my shelf forever and haven't pulled it off in a while. And it's co-op. So I'll, I'll give you the, all those clues. Oh. oh, man. One of my favorites. Favorite game. Co-op. Favorite Allison really likes it. And I haven't played it in a while. But it's something that I keep getting off the shelf. I mean, it's not like Pandemic, right? Nope. I don't know that. It's a series of games. How about that? Series of games. Does that help? <laughs> No? Like, what do you mean a series? Uh, Unlock? Yep, that's it. Oh, okay. (laughs) So I played the newest Unlock box. I had had it for, well, since it came out, it seems like forever, and hadn't played it in forever. So there is a third clown one, and it is one of the cool, it was one of the coolest Unlock experiences I've ever had. I feel like Unlock- is it the one, is it, I think, I think you let me borrow this before you played. Is it the one with the, the gun? Yes. Yeah, that one was great. Actually, I liked all three of those pretty well. I haven't played the other two yet. But Ali, that wasn't the lowest level one. That was the middle level one. Yeah. But it was really neat. So in the past, I I will say there were some hidden puzzles in it, like visual puzzles. And in the past, they'd always been like numbers where they just put numbers on the cards. They did something different this time. And it was really cool. That was literally one of my favorite unlocks I played. Although I feel like I say that every time I play a new unlock. (laughs) Like I feel like, like I said, they're just getting better over time. Yeah, I mean, I also really enjoyed how they used the app in that one. And the toy factor of how they used the app was so strong. My kids just wanted to keep on replaying that one. Just I won't spoil anything, but just to uh, interact with one of the elements again and again. So, uh, yeah, that, that was definitely a hit for us, too. 
Yeah, super fun. All right, anything else? I got one more after this. I played some other solo stuff. I've been playing like a lot of prototypes. I actually designed uh, two more solo modes. Both of oh, them geez. came together pretty quickly. Uh, one of them is for a, a really cool deck builder. This is competitive, but I'll mention it since I made a solo mode for it. It's a uh, push your luck deck builder. Y- you might like it, Peter. What's what's it called, though? I have no idea what it's called, but it's from the people who are doing Icono Clash right now. And that's the other one I designed a solo mode for. I'm, I'm putting a video up on that for uh, Saturday. Icono Clash is uh, kind of like uh, Super Smash Brothers fighting game, but like with cards and movement on a board. That one's pretty fun. I made a little solo like kind of survival mode for that. And then, yeah, I can't remember this uh, deck builder, but it's it's got like uh, push your luck and that's really good. I've been playing Four Northwood. It's on GameFound right now. That's a solo trick-taking game. I mean, tons of solo. And then I got a Nemo's War, the Ultimate Edition. Played that solo. That's that's a good one, too. I mean, I've been making tons of videos. I had my spring break uh, the previous week. Now, I will and... say, you didn't make the solo variant for Nemo's War. I know that. No, no, no. <laughs> and, well, I, think, I think, Peter, the only way either of us had played Nemo's War before was one co-op game. Don't recommend it for co-op personally, but for solo, it's it's really good. I, I definitely saw the the joy in that one because I know uh, Colin and Steve love it. And I, I had fun with it too when I was playing it solo at least. All right. So Iconoclash, you said, Robotech role-playing game. I'm assuming it's not that. Uh, no. Variant, Valiant Wars? Yes, Valiant Wars. Valiant Wars okay. is a really cool deck builder. And again, I'll have a I'll, I'll make a video eventually. The solo rules are already written. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a it's like a pusher like deck builder in that um, it reminds me a bit of Mystic Vale and Quacks of Quedlinburg. It's got like a little bit of both of those. Huh. Basically, what happens is you're flipping cards one at a time, and uh, sort of like ink and gold style, you all like flip at the same time. You know what I mean? So you all kind of like go or decide to stop, and you've got these bad cards. And if you flip two of them, you're out. If you don't flip two of them, whatever money you earn for the round, you get to spend on new cards. And then whoever had the most uh, power, the swords, captures like the actual village card you were fighting over. But in sort of Dominion style, those village cards go into your deck and are terrible, like actually provide negative money, negative combat. So it's a nice like kind of mix of like trying to build your deck combos right, getting stronger, but also like getting weaker from these uh, cards you capture and determining like, you know, sometimes you just want to stay in you really want to capture the car but sometimes you want to like push and get more money i, I don't know i dig it but i I've, i like uh i like quacks and i like well i, I won't say i like mystic veil vale that much i like this more than mystic veil vale, but uh yeah it sounds I, very cool. qu- it sounds very quacks like yeah, with, yeah, with the push your luck thing interesting i mean the artwork is very cartoony uh very anime yes. I, I feel like you'd have to like animate it like this artwork yeah i mean yeah i mean i, I think you can like the game without liking anime artwork but it certainly helps a little bit it's 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 like chibi style like cartoonish kind of anime uh stuff so yeah i i the art is not the selling point i just like the gameplay gotcha yeah so the last thing i've been playing i'm sure you could guess i'm sure everybody on this planet can guess marvel champions yes there's a new expansion <laughs> out this brings in the spider-verse so i mean actually the first villain you ever fight is rhino and spider-man's in the original game so i guess it doesn't bring in the spider-verse but it's definitely focused around the spider-verse and web warriors it's got spider gwen and miles in there so definitely two characters that have made their way around uh marvel movies lately and yeah it was really good i gotta say as a as a sometimes fan of marvel champions i would love to play this one because i mean i just loved into the spider-verse that movie so much yeah. <laughs> it's not like either of those characters were on my mind before that really at all yes but afterwards i'd like just want to do anything with them now like they are they became quick favorites of uh, mine and the campaign's really good too i think it's probably one of the top campaigns out there certainly the way you level up in the campaign they did uh, something aren't there only like three campaigns <laughs> um no this is the fourth one 
Oh, it's okay. All right, so yeah, I guess it's, no, and it's, I, great. I, it's, but it's but it's one of the top ones. So, like, no, I mean, it, 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 it's top one or two. Uh, I mean, Rise of Red Skull, honestly, the first one may still be the best one, and it, only oh. if only because it just builds on the base game so well. I think that's the only one I haven't played. Really, you played Galaxy's Most Wanted. I played Galaxy Most Wanted, and I played uh, the Thanos one. Um, yeah, yeah, I played a little bit of both of those. Yeah, I haven't played any Red Skull, and I haven't played, of course, the new one. Yeah, so the new one's really good. They do the campaign better than any of the other ones. So in other ones, you got experience for doing certain things on missions, but it was like different from mission to mission. Here, it's very consistent. You get a point for this. You get a point for that. You get a point for the other thing. There's like six things you get points for, and it's consistent from mission to mission. And then as you get a certain number of points, it's almost like experience. You get something good, and then you get something bad as well. Although the something bads can like help you to some degree. Because there's some other bad stuff, like you get bad publicity and you have to defeat enemies and side schemes to get rid of them. So some of the bad things that come in are you start the game with enemies in play or side schemes. Mm-hmm. So it actually helps you defeat that like bad reputation you have the further you go into the campaign, even though it's just something else to deal with at the beginning. So I really love the way you level in this campaign. And the villains are always very unique. I mean, they've done a good job. It's amazing. Through three campaigns like four or five villain packs at this point, Mm. you know, it's just, it keeps innovating on itself and there's not really any repetition from villain to villain. And the heroes are all very unique as well. Even when you say, Oh, this one's kind of like this one, then you play it more and it's like, Oh wow. No, they do something very different than that one does, or they have a very different pacing than that one or whatever else. So Marvel champions just keeps getting better in my mind. So the best news about this, not only did I play it solo, but I played it all the way through with my son who in the Ah. past has been very like lukewarm on the game. And we started playing it. And then we played it again, and then he's like, let's play again. And he really wanted to push through and finish the whole campaign. I gave him Star-Lord. I think that's why. Who's a very fun hero, very push-your-luck. Things can go crazy wrong or crazy right with Star-Lord, which (laughs) is super thematic for sure. But yeah, he just, he loved it. And I just let him blast things, right? Like, I, I was like, don't worry about the threat. Don't worry about anything else. I'll deal with that. You just go kill everything. So he loved it. I mean, we both had some great weeks of family gaming, which is, I think, the best, right? <laughs> like, that's that's the dream. It really is. It really is. But uh, I think this is longer than we normally go at the beginning. Yeah. So, did you want to get right into it then? Sure. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, Ascension Tactics, which takes the uh, Ascension deck building model. If you haven't heard of that, that's one of the uh, more famous deck builder systems and adds on some tactical like board play combat. I, don't th- I guess there's a theme here, right? Like in the campaign, yeah. there's like a story. It's it's kind of like the, uh, if you ever watch Thor Ragnarok, where they take all these champions from across the universe and put them in one place. That's kind of the theme as far as I can get. Uh, yeah, it was like some kind of cataclysm. I feel like it was like following up on some Ascension story that I'm not aware of. Yep. And then, <laughs> the, yeah. And then like you're trying to become like the element or like the house that rules. The new gods. The, that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, that, that's right. That's right. It was New Gods. Yeah, so whatever. Uh, but in terms of the gameplay, if you've played Ascension, this is a lot like that. In fact, a lot of the cards are the same. You draw a five-card hand, very Dominion-esque uh, deck building there. And some of the cards will give you combat. Some of the cards will give you money. You can spend the money to buy new cards from an offer. So it is like one of these random offers, shuffle a big deck together style uh, deck builders. And uh, you can play out all the cards for your hand. You discard them all and draw five at the end of the turn anyway. The big change for Ascension Tactics compared to other deck builders before is that uh, the combat, instead of like dealing damage directly to an enemy, 
Instead, it becomes the resource that you use to activate the like little units you have on the board. So you're trying to control these control points. Those are the main thing that actually earn you victory points. And it has competitive play for up to, I think, four players. And then it has uh, solo play and cooperative uh, two-player play. And for the solo and co-op, you can also go through this campaign where you're kind of uh, going against more and more difficult enemies and kind of progressing a bit through a story. Has a bit of branching. But yeah, in the end, it's a lot like Ascension and other deck builders like it, except that the uh, the combat translates into the activation points for your units on the board. Yep. And for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Actually, we're up to over 7,000 downloads a week now. I hadn't checked that number in a while. It's uh, It's gone up substantially this year. I mean, I guess year over year, it keeps go- doing it. So thank you for everybody who's joined and welcome to our podcast. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is our least important thing, going to number one, but they're all obviously important or they wouldn't make our list at all. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and start? What's your number five thing to know about Ascension Tactics? All right, so this first one is a mix and it's the enemy AI in the solo co-op mode because at least my points are focusing almost totally on solo co-op competitive does feel quite a bit different on the positive side of the ai it's so simple to run uh basically you're just drawing these cards they're going to tell you which of the ai like generals to activate they'll have four of them each of them are keyed to a different icon and then the control points on the board are also keyed to those same icons so the generals are basically going to run towards those control points and they'll attack you and try to kill you if they can and that's like, that's really it. That's that's almost the entire AI. You almost know all the rules for the AI right there. That's the good part. I love how straightforward it is, how quick it is to teach, how quick it is to run. Enemy turns do not take very long at all. On the negative side, uh, they're dumb. <laughs> they do things that don't make uh, too much sense sometimes for their actual victory conditions. And some of that can be like clever. Like you can uh, lead them away from something by kind of sacrificing one of your people. But uh, they're also very swingy. Like sometimes the activation cards come out in such a way that they like get all the things in the right place or kill the perfect person for you. Sometimes they do like the exact wrong people and nothing really bad happens. So that's kind of the negative side of things. But honestly, um, if you're looking for a straightforward tactical game, I think this is a great AI for that. It is not going to tax your brain or be tough to figure out what they're going to do on a turn to turn basis. So I appreciate that side of it. Yeah. So we did have a question. This is one of the benefits of doing it in the uh, live stream format uh we had a question from zimbo and zimbo asks is this more of a dungeon crawl or more of an arena game and i would definitely say more of an arena game you're definitely fighting over control points it's a static map you're not going from map to map even in the campaign you're basically resetting the map every time so i'd describe it more as an arena game how about you mike no no, absolutely yeah it is a control point based arena combat game but the, the deck building aspect plays into like bonuses that go on to your fighters and also the resources you use to activate your fighters. So, but yes, absolutely. Don't come into this looking for a dungeon crawler. The fact that they have a campaign, notwithstanding, like Peter said, each of the campaign missions is, is almost a standalone. Like you could pretty easily play any of the campaign missions as a separate mission. You do have to just level yourself up slightly. You get kind of like these little like ongoing bonus cards. But besides that, uh, very, yeah, very much an arena combat game. So good, good clarification question there. But uh, Peter, how about your number five? Well, before I get into it, I actually want to comment more because I don't really go into the enemy AI. And a couple other things I think are key to note about the enemy AI. Number one is they'll get bonuses sometimes. So it's not Mm -hmm. just activate red, activate green, activate whatever. It's all their champions get plus five attack and then activate green, right? It's clear the middle row and then activate somebody 
And when you clear the middle row for every mechanic card there, do two damage to your heroes. Right. So, right. so they're, they're very, they're not just straightforward, simple, like, just activate this person or that person. Because I think it would be uninteresting then, because then you'd be able to definitely plan ahead. They also have these surge abilities that will go on. And so going back to Marvel Champions, every time I see surge, I draw another card and I'm like, no, wait, that's not what I do in this game. Like the champion themselves, like their boss or whatever, will have a surge ability that triggers. And the other cool thing, and I don't remember if you talked about this or not, but on the bottom of the card, it'll say eight or 16. Did you talk about those? Top and bottom part? No, yeah. So I didn't really talk much about that. Why don't you go ahead and cover that? All. Yeah, so um, so Peter's right. So you're drawing uh, two cards a turn for the uh, enemy AI. But the way that they kind of level up, like uh, that they ramp up, because, of course, you're ramping up as you build your deck. The way that they ramp up and also the difficulty modifiers for the game is that uh, as they have more cards in your discard pile, cards will have, like Peter said at the bottom, it'll say like eight and then it'll have another effect. And that means that if there are at least eight cards in the discard pile when that card is played, you also do something else, often like activating another uh, one of their enemy generals. And, you know, then it'll get to like 12 and it'll get to 16 and the more powerful effects will trigger. And that's how you do the difficulty mode. You uh, start with more cards in the discard pile. So it works pretty smoothly. Do they always like ramp up at the right rate? No, and it's kind of, I found it somewhat tough to get like the difficulty just right, but that, that goes into some of my other points later. By the way, Zimbo asked, are there miniatures? I, I know there were miniatures in the Kickstarter edition. I'm not sure. Can you buy them separately? Like, did you see that on their website or something? I, I don't know. I, I know in the Kickstarter, they definitely had them. I don't know yeah, if you yeah, can no, buy yeah, them so now, but but it comes with standees. The version we played is standees. Yeah. And what I will say, I mean, yes, I know everyone loves miniatures, but uh, several people for uh, when I did a playthrough of this commented that, and, and even I think the designer might have said this, that it's kind of easier to play with the uh, standees because it's kind of hard to tell which miniatures are which. And right. you have like a bunch of them on the board. You need to like figure out who you're activating with these cards. Cause you know, you have like multiple people on the board. It's not like you're just controlling your one hero, like in a dungeon crawler. They found it uh, a little bit tough to play with the miniatures and they kind of preferred the standees, but I'll look it up Peter while you talk about your next point. Sure. So my number five is that it is a swingy game, but it is a quick game. So for me, the swinginess doesn't matter as much. It certainly happens in some of my favorite games like Marvel Champions. So I can't be one to complain about it here because, (laughs) you know, if it happens in my favorite game where sometimes you're like going along and everything seems great and then all of a sudden everything goes awry. I think it's a little bit more swingy long term here. Like if you start losing guys, then it's kind of hard to build back up again, get your guys back on the board quick enough to stop them from scoring their points. But the games are so quick. It's like 30 minutes, 45 minutes for a game. So it doesn't bother me that much here. The thing that bothers me more is actually setup time is a little bit longer than I'd like it to be. Um, and so, actually, I don't mind if I lose because I don't have to reset up the board. I just got to put a couple of treasure chests out and keep going. It is a little bit swingy, and I know that will bother some people. Uh, it didn't bother me that much. And in fact, it added a little excitement to the game. Some of those cards, sometimes you're like, oh, I got this ultimate buffed up hero who's got all these constructs on him here, which are basically buffs for your hero. I'm going to talk more about those later. But this hero is just wrecking face wherever they go, all over the board, no problem. And then they draw two cards that give them plus five attack. So they got plus 10 total attack, and they just totally wreck your hero in one shot. So if you don't like that kind of thing, that might bother you. But in such a quick game, it doesn't bother me as much. And I still feel like my tactics are more important most of the time. I think sometimes you'll just get killed. But again, it doesn't bother me as much as I know it'll bother some. 
Yeah, and, and it does bother me more. I mentioned the swinginess already, but I'm going to mention it in kind of a different way later. Uh, by the way, I do not see, at least on their Stoneblade webpage, any way to buy the miniatures separately. Uh, they do have a listing for the retail edition, which is what we play, which just has standees. We did get a review copy of it. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't see anything. So my number four is the scenario design and also kind of the campaign design. There's also a mix. I did find the variety pretty interesting, especially like in the one-off scenarios and some of the campaigns too. They had like unique rules sometimes or different setups. More in the competitive campaign because the AI doesn't really have a way to do this. They had really cool things like uh, extra spawn points you can capture. So you have more flexibility in where units come out. So it, it was pretty good. The negative side, I didn't find the balance to be great. Some of the scenarios I found like really easy. Some of them more like much, much harder. Yes. But like in a kind of even when you made the AI harder, like not really satisfying way. And this is going to go into a later point, but also I found like sometimes I thought the point thresholds were a little weird and often for co-op, they would like lower the point threshold. So, so basically you play until one side gets a certain number of victory points and that's the, that's the end of the game. And I felt like uh, in co-op, they would like lower the number of points you needed, but I didn't feel like I was getting points slower. So the game was over faster. I was like, I don't know if that's what I want. So uh, yeah. Well, and technically <laughs> you usually get points faster because in the, competitive game the only way to really get points is controlling the control point but in co-op you get extra points for killing the villains as well right yeah so well th that's the point i'm going to talk about in a second so i don't get too much into that but yeah so, so basically the scenarios are a mixed bag if you play competitive you get a lot more scenarios because many of them are not uh, usable in solo co-op and again i think the competitive ones are the better ones in my opinion so uh, but for just solo co-op there is some pretty good variety but also some problems with the scenarios for me yeah, I, I will say in the campaign, it tends to go up because I think normal games you play to 30 points. And in the mm -hmm. in the campaign, it was usually you're going to 40 points. So yeah, well, then I think like it might be 50 by the final boss. It definitely ramps up for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that wasn't as much of a problem, maybe in the one off scenarios. But they also might have done that on purpose just to keep those one off scenarios quicker. So you can sure. get in, play quickly and get out. I think they really want you to play through the campaign. I mean, who knows? I guess maybe not, though, because the one-off scenarios are before the campaign in the book. So I don't know. We'll talk about that at the end for me, at least anyway, uh, with value in the game. But my next one is the variety. In this case, I'm going to talk about two specific things, the variety in heroes and the variety in alliances. Because I've played Ascension before. I played Hero Realms. I played Star Realms. They all have these four different factions, and they all feel somewhat different in different ways. But I've never felt before like I was satisfied with the differences they had. You know, sometimes it's like you heal more or some do more damage or whatever else. But I never feel like it really mattered. I never made choices or felt stupid because I picked one thing over another. It's like, oh, I wish I had two healing here. In this game, though, I definitely feel like I've gone too much in one direction or another. I almost feel like you have to stay more balanced in this game. Yeah. And not in a bad way, in a good way. And the cards like combo off of each other. And I think that does lead to the swinginess as well. Although the heroes also, and this is another point I'll bring up, the heroes are of those four different factions as well or alliances. Mm. And they'll get bonuses based on if you've played cards that alliance. So if I'm playing the Void Alliance, then I want to play more of those Void cards 
to trigger my hero's ability as well. So I know in a lot of these games, it's like, oh, if you play one card, the second one you play gets a bonus off of that. But in this, sometimes your heroes will get bonuses off of it as well. So it made the heroes feel very different. It made you want to play certain ways, although you still do have a variety. And I didn't want to just like build up so I had like a million attack like I do in a lot of these games because you can only control each of your heroes once. So at some points, you may have more attack than you can control heroes even. And so you really have to balance it out a little bit better than what I've felt like in most of these type deck builders where you have that center row of cards and you're just trying to build combos in your hand. I felt like you wanted to balance things a little bit better. And for me, it felt really good. And the hero variety was great as well. One of the heroes even had two standees and they both had the same attack power and everything else. But if one of them died, they're both dead, right? So yeah, I don't know. I just kind of felt like there was a lot of neat ways they added variety in this game. And I actually felt it more than I felt in any of these Ascension style games in the past. Yeah, I'll disagree a little bit on the heroes. I felt like several of them were super cool, but a whole lot of them just kind of felt like slight shuffling of numbers. It's like, oh, this one has six attack and eight defense, and that one has seven attack and seven defense. And like some of them had really cool abilities. Like I liked the bomber. I liked the one that had two characters. But some of them were like, this person moves slightly easier through this one terrain that's not on the board as much. I don't know. So so it it was a mixed bag for me. I didn't uh, appreciate the variety quite as much as you did. Well, and I haven't played through because I mostly focused on the campaign. I played through mostly with those void heroes. So I know those were really cool. And the ones I played against seemed like they were cool. But again, the AI slightly varies them from what the player would get. I did read through some of them just to kind of see what they have. I mean, most of them who get like special walking abilities through forest, which are like everywhere always. But like some of them have plus one movement, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you have three movement and they specifically plan these maps, you could tell so that like one more movement makes a big difference in the game. I'll actually talk about that a little bit more later. So uh, I guess we're going to disagree on this one a little bit. But you've certainly played a bigger variety of characters than I have as well. I mean, I still think for how straightforward the game is, they did a good job in a simple system adding in those special powers. I just didn't always feel like they were cool. Like some heroes felt cool. Others just felt like whatever. But my number three, full on con, biggest con. This is kind of the swinginess, but it's more the pacing of the game. And again, in the solo co-op game. Now, Peter is right. In the later scenarios of the campaign, they up the victory point target. And uh, suddenly the games last about as long as I want them to. Like when you're at 40 or 50 victory points, that felt about right. But in the early scenarios of the campaign, and those are the ones that have the most branching, And also in all the one-off scenarios I've played, I felt like in solo co-op, the game's over too quickly because you're getting the exact same points as always from the victory point control, but only in solo co-op, the AI has a way to get extra points that are impossible to get in the regular competitive game. And you have a way to get a lot of extra points by defeating their generals that's impossible in the regular game. And they didn't change the victory point targets generally to accommodate those extra points. And the big thing for me is it's not even necessarily that the game is over too fast because I'm fine with quick games, but deck builders, (laughs) I like deck builders where I can like have combos and pull off cool things and get good builds. And I felt like when I played solo co-op, except again for those final scenarios in the campaign, that it was over way too fast. And like, I barely gotten anything building in my deck. Like I might've like bought like four cards and I was like, what? (laughs) That's it. So I I do think that, I think they made some odd, in my opinion, some odd balance decisions for most of the scenarios in the solo co-op specifically, 
that I don't have a problem with for competitive. And I think uh, the game just uh, understays its welcome for a deck builder. I want to have some comboing going on. D- did you feel the same way at all, Peter? Again, in the campaign, like only the first mission wasn't 40. The second one was 40. Now, I did feel like the first two were too easy. The burn started with the third one. I felt it, that one yeah. was. And so I, I think the first two were over quickly because they were just easy. Now, there are ways to vary difficulty, and I didn't do those on the first couple of missions. I didn't start doing it till the third one. And then, of course, I started losing. Yeah, you're right, though. I, I think it's just swingy. And I think you're right about scenario design you mentioned earlier as well, where some scenarios are just going to be harder than others, no matter how much you scale them up or down. Yeah. But I do like the fact that you can change difficulty as well. And I think once you've played through the campaign a couple of times, you're going to figure out what campaign difficulties work for you for what missions. I think you can still swing hard one way or another within those missions. But yeah, I, I, did, I actually didn't feel like it was over too quickly. Although I guess... If you're winning too quickly and then you go into setup again, that was a that was a pain point for me with setup. Mm-hmm. It's it's not one of my five points, but setting up the map each time you play, it takes a little bit of time to do. It's not instant. Yeah, definitely the map setup is especially <laughs> annoying. Like, I mean, and of course for all deck builders, like pulling out your cards, but at least it's an ascension style one, so you just shuffle all those cards back into the big deck. Or I would often just put them on the bottom because there's so many cards in that deck and just you know, play with the the cards are now on top. But yeah, I, I hear you. Well, and actually, uh, Jonathan in the chat just brought up a great point. He said, I agree. I also feel the same about Ascension. And usually I had 15 honor to every game. I mean, that's certainly something you can do, right? They tell you to play to 30 points or whatever, but it could easily be changed to 40, 50. And because you and the enemy are both doing it, I don't mm-hmm. think that would be an a problem. In fact, if anything, the AI gets stronger as the game goes on. So I think that would actually add to the difficulty for the player. Well, they do plateau once they reach 16 cards in the discard. So I guess if you like deck build really well beyond that, you could eventually get stronger than them. But yeah, I'll say like a bonus of this game is that it is very easy to like house rule in or just modify things that way or to mess with the difficulty. But if if we're reviewing it like for the rules as written out sure. of the box... I still think the the pacing is a con for me in the solo co-op play. What's your number three, Peter? So my number three is the board itself. And like I said, it's a little bit of a hassle to set up. That is my one con to it. But every map has its own different layout. And as I said earlier, you could tell a lot of times... I always think they're not paying attention when they lay out a map, right? Uh, in almost every dungeon crawl I play. I felt this with Gro- Gloomhaven a lot. I felt this with a lot of games. Well, and not necessarily... Descent. Wasn't Descent the big one where you Descent. were like, why did they make this one farther away? Yes, it's like, all right, why is it four spaces away when it should have clearly been three? You're basically making me take an extra action for one more movement space in a game where that's not the fun part of the game. But in a tactical game like this... I feel like they put things one out of reach sometimes. They put some within three movement. They put some that were four movement away. And that actually gave a bonus to getting extra movement, which I don't think is always important in some of these games. I mean, obviously, if they're very tactical, yes, extra movement is always important. But I feel like sometimes in these games, movement isn't as important as it could be. But I feel like the way they laid out the maps and things like that, movement is very important. And the way treasure chests work, there are treasure chests around the board. And if you land on that space, you end your move on that space. So when you activate a character, you get to move and you get an attack every time you activate them. So, but they can only be activated once a turn. So if you stop on a treasure chest and they never put these treasure chests where you want them to be, right? They're always one space away from where you want, 
But that's good because if I move one less space and I'm like, oh no, I'm not going to get the the victory point thing this turn. At least usually I'll be able to get a treasure chest or maybe I'll have to go out of my way and I'll leave a victory point spot to get these treasure chests. So what do these treasures give you? They give you tokens that give you like plus to attack or plus to defense or give you retaliate. So if they attack you, you attack them back at the same time. Maybe you both defeat each other. So I find these treasure chests really neat and I love having a couple of these tokens sitting around because, you know, they'll attack you if they can defeat you, but you might have a like two or three shields sitting around. So they think they're going to defeat you, the AI, but then you play this token and you stop yourself from being defeated or you're one short of killing them or whatever else. And that one token is what you need to be able to defeat the enemy. I don't know. I love these treasure chests and what they add to the game. And then the terrain itself, I think, is laid out really good, too. So I think it just makes it into a better tactical puzzle, even though I think it's a pain to set up. Again, it's not awful, but it's not it's not. I mean, it must be pretty either. awful, Peter. You've mentioned it like five times. Now. Well, I don't you know, when the game takes 30 minutes and it takes 10 minutes to set up like that's a. That's a thing, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're so right. again, it's not awful. 10 minutes is not awful setup time, but I complain about that with everything. Battle Lore, one of my favorite games, same thing. I hate mm-hmm. setting up terrain in that game every every time you play. Gloomhaven, that was one of our biggest complaints, right? So I wish all these games had like printed map boards, but they don't. So it is what it is. Extension Tactics needs a map book, just like uh, Jaws of a Lion and uh, Tidal Blades 2. <laughs> I would not be sad about that. Absolutely. So I think that's a much better way to go for me personally, but... Given what it is, it's not that bad, especially because most of the terrain is forest anyway. So it's it's really not like you're searching for, like, where's that one token that is this exact same type that you're looking for? So it's not that bad to set up, but I think it adds to the variety of the game, and I think it adds to the fun of the game to have the different board layouts. And I enjoy what they do. And you even they even play with stuff. Some of the cards you have... Like when you get them, like we'll add extra force to the board next to a force that's already there. So you can really mess them up, like surround their spawn points by forests or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. For me, it adds to the game, even though there's a little pain to it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, uh, I'm pretty much there with you because my number two full on pro is the tactical combat. Now, I I do want to say very clearly, (laughs) if you are like a tactical combat like Grognard, like you... I don't know, you're, you're into, like, 40K or, like, really crunchy things. Even Gloomhaven, I think, is way, way crunchier than this. Absolutely. I'm not sure if this will, like, win you over. It's very straightforward. It's very light in the tactics. But all the stuff you mentioned, Peter, I really appreciate it. I like the treasure tokens. I like collecting them. I like the use of them. I, I got to say, I love... This is an innovation I've never seen before. I love the the melding of the uh, the deck-building cards and the activation of your units. It makes the movement, because the movement's very basic. You can move three spaces for most units. So if you get within three of somebody and they can kill you, in a way it's like, whoops, I'm dead. But the cool thing about those cards activating their units, this is for competitive or with those AI activation cards, is that you're never sure if that unit's going to activate. So you can take that chance to get your person within their attack range and just hope they don't activate, and then you can get the drop on them and kill them the next turn. So I think it works really well. I think there's like a lot of fun little stuff. Again, in a very light tactical game. Like this is a very light tactical experience. And I also got to say, I appreciate the control point. If this was just a kill each other arena game, I think it would have been very dull indeed. Yes. <laughs> and that's something we'll talk about in our design discussion at the end in general. I think uh, having things like control points to fight over is a, a big improvement for these kind of games. But I thought they did a great job here. Like uh, for a, a lighter, simpler experience, I think it's uh, really solid, just like you. 
Yeah, I mean, when we talk light, it's really, literally, almost every character moves three and almost every character attacks for whatever it says on their thing. So if you pay the activation cost, they're going to do that thing. You know exactly what they're going to do. Now, again, it gets modified with treasure tokens. It gets modified with this next thing, which is my number two, which is the constructs. So Mm -hmm. constructs are cards you can buy for your deck that basically are level ups for your heroes. And they'll give you like plus to movement, plus to defense, but they might also give you some kind of special power as well. They might give you the power to retaliate every time. They One of them I saw gives you plus five to attack, plus no defense, but you could discard it to avoid all the damage you would take from one attack. I mean, I just think they do really neat things. So it's like your characters level up throughout when you're playing, but here's the thing, when they die, all that stuff goes away. They even have one that makes it cheaper to activate that hero. So if it costs Mm -hmm. like normally heroes cost anywhere from two to four to activate so you can make that four cost hero cost two to activate equal to one of your cheaper heroes or you can make one of your two cost heroes free to activate every single turn so they're just really cool things you can do i mean it's so funny because you know describing it it sounds like the most simplistic thing ever but the amount of variety it adds to the game Mm -hmm. and then when that character dies you could take those same constructs and add them to a different hero next time and buff up one of your other heroes that's already well, after they make their way through your discard well of course <laughs> it can, yes it can take a little while <laughs> that is true that is very true but i made like one of my games i made mostly constructed heroes right i just had like all my heroes had like two or three pieces of gear on them because at some point like it's overkill if they're not buffing up like you know you don't need to do 20 damage on a turn it doesn't help you uh the max you can you know you can do to them is you know whatever their max life is like is all you need to do So I was spreading up a lot of constructs, but that game, I was sad because I didn't have cards to activate enough heroes. Mm. And other games, I was sad because I didn't have enough money to buy the cards I wanted. I could activate tons of heroes, but I couldn't do other stuff that I wanted. And that's not the only thing, as with all these deck builders, they have other things on the card. But this one, I'm again, just mostly focusing on the constructs. I really liked it. It felt like I was leveling up my heroes. I think they worked with the hero powers, and maybe that's why I like the hero powers. Like, some heroes were good at certain things, some were good at other things, some were ranged, and you could, like, really specify which constructs you put on which heroes. Like, if I got somebody that already has a lot of health, I give them even more health. That hero is basically never dying, right? So, like, I could make this really tanky hero that just sits on a point for me the whole game. Or I can make heroes that do a ton of damage, but... The minute they get plunked, they're going to be dead. And now I got to start all over and put those constructs back out again. So I don't know. For me, it just made each game feel a little bit different, even though in the campaign, I was using the same heroes basically throughout the campaign. Yeah, and that that goes uh, pretty much into my number one, which is the the deck building itself. I like deck builders in general. So this is something I'm going to focus on. And it's a mix again for me. To your point, I, I didn't feel like I saw those combos consistently enough. Again, this is partially the pacing thing, except for uh, some of those campaign missions where I just didn't feel like I had enough time to build my deck. Sure. But it also goes, uh, I think you said this for your number four, Peter. You had talked about how this game, maybe more than most deck builders, kind of encourages you to be like very balanced. Yes. And and, and I felt that. And, and you're right that it, it's fine. But I don't know. I feel like I wanted to, like, for example, your construct thing. Sometimes they just wouldn't come out. Sometimes they wouldn't come out in a way that I could like purchase them. I felt like I got com with the time I had, I got combos that were unique going so infrequently that it didn't seem exciting to me. Right. Now, when I did have them, they were great. Like, I remember uh, one of the void heroes explodes himself and like people uh, within a certain amount of range. And I uh, put a big construct on him and killed their entire team in one blow. That was awesome. <laughs> that, that was <laughs> nice. an amazing experience. You know, that was like one game out of 20. So I don't know if I had that kind of experience consistently enough. 
Uh, but but the the deck building is sometimes interesting. And then the big positive for me, I don't think you've mentioned this yet, Peter, are the uh, ambush effects. Yep. Vita, it was something I think they introduced in Shards of Infinity, but they brought it here as well. The ambush cards are that when you buy them, you also get a bonus right away. Isn't that right, Peter? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, some of them might say, add this card to your hand. Or they might say, defeat or deal four damage to an enemy on the board. Or they might say, activate one of your heroes without you know paying yeah, a cost. And, and this I love because, especially with these Ascension-style deck builders, I often feel like there's a very obvious best card to buy. And it's not that the ambush effects necessarily take that away entirely, but... They make that calculus just a bit more interesting. Like the the choices as I look at the offer of cards a bit more engaging. And it makes it so that I have to care about what I'm buying during the turn while I'm like doing my combat and stuff. Instead of like most deck builders kind of like playing out all your cards and then being like, all right, I have five money left. I'll take that. I have to like look at, ooh, I do need one more movement. Let me grab that card. That'll give me the movement, even though maybe I don't need it for my deck. So I, I think it uh, it combines again with the tactical play in really interesting ways. And I just thought that was a a clever... I guess it is an evolution of what they did in Shards of Infinity, not just a repeat for the... In Shards of Infinity, they have these cards called Mercenaries where you can buy them just to get their effect and then they go away. So you kind of... It's kind of like you get a free play of them, but you don't get to keep them in your deck or you can add them to your deck for no effect. So this is sort of a little different in that you get like the best of both worlds. It still goes in your deck and you get an immediate bonus. I, I think it's a great system. Not enough to bring the deck building to like, yay, uh, <laughs> levels for me overall, but uh, pretty good. Yeah, so my number one, we've been doing this for what, a little over five years, I think now. And I don't know that I've ever had anything that came together, my thoughts coalesce so well as they have. And I've come up with something so unique as I have for my number one here, which is this game is Ascension with Tactics. You're a poet, Peter. We're all just uh, blessed to, to hear your words. It really is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I came up with that all on my own. I didn't I didn't have to, like, you know, consult other people or, like, look at a thesaurus to figure out what any of those words meant. No, it, it really, it feels like the game Ascension. You know, the, the deck building, the card building. I don't know that if you don't love Ascension, I, I'll be honest. Actually, I don't love Ascension. So maybe that's... Well, I was about to say, I don't think you love Ascension. So is this a positive or not? No, no, no. Well, I, so so actually, I'm going to go back on that a little bit. It feels like Ascension, but somehow more. Like if you wanted more out of Ascension, you wanted more... Out, like you played Hero Realms, Ascension, some of these other games, and you wish it was just a little bit more. I think that's it provides that experience for you. Like the tactical puzzle for me is really neat. And exactly what you said with those ambush cards. That's where I put ambush in here in this point. Really, like there are many times where I'm like, oh, man, I wish I could do this. And I go, oh, wait a minute. Let me look and see if there's a card I can buy that lets me do that. Or let me run over here on this treasure token, pick that up and hope it's something that gives me that one more movement I need or that plus one attack I need or whatever else it is. And when it happens, it's really cool. And when it doesn't, it's like, okay, now mid turn after I've already used some of my stuff, I've got to rethink my plan and recome up with a new plan. I think the tactical for as simple and as light and as silly as almost the activating the heroes is it really adds a lot to the game and it really adds a level of something that I really like in the game. I'll be honest. I wasn't looking forward to this and I, I put it off for a while playing it. Like I played it a couple of times <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it, it's fine. Like my first couple of times playing it, I, I think I kind of felt like it was fine. And even my first couple of times I played in the campaign, I'm like, wow, they're pretty easy. But then I got to a mission that was more challenging and I started increasing the difficulty and I really found that I was having fun playing and I was having fun exploring the system. So 
when the, when the difficulty's off, as with any co-op game, it's hard to kind of get into it. And I think the difficulty is a little easy here in standard difficulty. But like you said, it's very mission-based. It's very much, you know, there are a lot of factors, luck-based, how the difficulty can come out. But I do think there's enough ways to tweak the difficulty in the game, even right out of the box, even with what they give you with just adding four cards at the beginning. Because the quicker you run out of the deck, you get an auto loss there if you go through the enemy deck. And it starts them getting their like acceleration faster. Like you said, every card has two parts. Some of them trigger at eight, some trigger at 16, but you're just four cards closer to getting there. Right. And you're drawing two a turn. So, you know, within a couple turns, you, you know, already building up the enemy's power level. If you're starting on one of the harder difficulty levels. So I don't know. I think they got a lot right here. I don't think people who don't like deck builders or who don't like tactical games like you know i think you're going to know from our description or if you just play it once or twice whether you're going to like this game or not there's not a whole lot hidden there although like i said it did unlock a little for me after a few games so maybe maybe i'm wrong about that maybe it is something that you got to build up to and just find the right difficulty and find the right combo for you but i definitely did for me and honestly today i almost missed recording the podcast because i was totally playing the game and i was just having a blast (laughs) with it so there, there might be a little recency bias too, right? Like I held off, held off, held off on playing it. And I played it like 10 times today and had a blast with it. So yeah, for me getting into final thoughts, I really enjoyed it. I think if you like tactical combat games, there aren't many good ones out there that are co-op. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a good one. I don't think, I mean, is it going to blow your mind? Is it the greatest thing ever? No, but what is it? 60 bucks, something like that. I would happily pay 60 yeah. bucks for this game. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's sort of where I am, too. I think it's a very good value, especially for this kind of game. The big hang-up for me is that they're much better deck builders I'd rather play, at least in terms of like the deck building itself, uh, having a more focused deck building experience. And there's... Now, you are right about the co-op, but I also think two-player co-op is maybe the weakest way to play this. I think there are better tactical games I'd rather play. Um, I really enjoyed Super Fantasy Brawl recently. Uh, Sky Tear, I know, is one of your ones that you like a lot, Peter. I-, I find those that also have card play, but not the deck building side. I find them a little bit more engaging. I find the heroes more unique in there. So it kind of pushes my buttons a bit more. So, I mean, I guess if you like deck building and tactical combat at the same time and you want a light, quick experience, although the setup can be long, this one can be good. But it sort of is in this weird place for me where there are other games I'd rather pull off the shelf for either side. But that being said, both of the tactical games I mentioned are much more expensive, especially if you want to buy into them, to get anywhere near the variety of content you get in Ascension Tactics. So if you want a cool, pretty straightforward tactical game that has some decent deck building in there as well at a really reasonable price point, I think this one is hard to beat. But in terms of like the actual quality of the game, for my taste... Um, I do not see me pulling it off the shelf almost at all compared to other games within like both of the main genres it's pulling from. So Jonathan says, uh, I like this one way more than I thought. I had a blast going through the campaign solo and looking forward to playing with my friends. Only problem is I played Undaunted first and prefer that. Yes, and I would totally agree with that, Jonathan. I mean, I designed a solo mode for Undaunted. If this one didn't already have solo, I would not have designed a solo mode for this. Um, I like Undaunted a lot, but yes, uh, Good comparison for another tactical game that is a mix of deck building and like board play. Um, I, th- I think the deck building is better in Ascension. Undaunted is pretty much just adding cards for activations of your units. That's that's the extent of the deck building in there. But I much prefer the tactical play in Undaunted to the tactical play here, even though I think this is pretty good. 
Well, and I think there's just more variety here, right? You mentioned Sky Terror, and I like Sky Terror a lot. But first of all, the solo mode they added afterward, mm. and it's still not really as flushed out as it needs to be to be a like great solo mode. And basically, sure. you're just playing a game of Sky Terror. Yes, they have some some variety from game to game, but that was my biggest problem with the Sky Terror solo mode is. It just became samey pretty quickly, and all that mattered yeah. was the heroes you brought and the ones you're going against. Um, so I guess the enemy AI is a little bit varied there, certainly more. But, I mean, for how quick you activate the AI here, I still feel like there's a lot going on, and I do like the variety from mission to mission. So I, I'm going to disagree with you from my perspective, of course. Obviously, you're always allowed to have your own opinions, and everybody has their own. And uh, it's fun to disagree on these things sometimes. But for my opinion, I think this is one is one of the better tactical games. The other game you mentioned didn't have a solo mode out of the box. Now, maybe your solo mode's better than what you get here. But are you still getting the variety you'd get here? Like, in your solo mode, is there... I mean, I know the map's not going to change. Wait, for, for which one? For the uh, solo mode for the tactical game you... Um... Oh, uh, Super Fantasy Brawl that yes. I made a solo mode for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that game, again, like, the heroes... The heroes in Ascension Tactics are, like, pretending at big variety. The heroes in Super Fantasy Brawl are actually quite varied. Uh, my solo mode is not the best one that I've designed, but it works okay. I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I'm kind of unfairly... I don't really like the solo co-op in Ascension Tactics that much. Oh, okay. So I'm really comparing the competitive play of Ascension Tactics to the competitive play of Undaunted, to the competitive play of Super Fantasy Brawl, to the competitive play of Sky Tear. And in that comparison, I think it falls short. You are right that for all those games, it's the only one that has solo co-op out of the box, and again, at a great price point. Right. So if you're going to play all the ways of the game, this is a, an awesome value. I just didn't like the solo co-op that much. I think it's a good system. I just didn't find it engaging over the long haul. And like I said, I didn't like the pacing and the scenarios for a lot of it. So, so yeah, I'm kind of making an unfair comparison here. If you are saying solo co-op out of the box, it's the only one that has it. Right, that's <laughs> so what I, I thought. Like, that's why I was confused. So, I was like, wait a minute, yeah, why are you yeah, comparing so it to a bunch of competitive <laughs> games? Like, no, this is like, you know, yeah, they have some tacked on stuff. But really, you know, for solo co-op, for our audience, I, I really do think that there's a lot here. Undaunted, for me, is a very different game. Um, and again, no solo co-op except for the solo you. Well, well they do have it. official solo now. It's in an expansion, but I didn't like it very much, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So still the best tactical solo game there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I think you'll know which side of the fence you fall on just based on your personal preferences. And I would definitely try to get my hands on it if you think it sounds interesting or watch some of the playthroughs online or whatever else. I know you have one on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube, right? Yeah. I mean, I made a few rules mistakes, but it, it's, it represents the game pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it. I, I still enjoyed it quite a bit. <laughs> and I don't think it's your top game of the year, Peter. No, so I'll, I'll think, no, no. I don't think we're that far apart. <laughs> You're making it sound like we're opposite sides of the coin. <laughs> no, but I, I but I want to keep playing it where it doesn't sound like you do. I think that's a, a, yes, a pretty that, big difference. You, you, you can certainly keep it at your house. You're good to go. That, that game is yours. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. All right. Well, let's get into tactics in board games. And yeah, like you said, there aren't many tactical board games but i think you know we we brought up some points at the beginning about dungeon crawls having tactics games like pandemic having tactics in them so what are your overall impressions or first thoughts when you hear tactics in co-op game i mean the big thing for me is <laughs> this will sound basic but there needs to be something going on beyond move and attack yes and there's so many ways to achieve this. There's so many ways to achieve this. So for, first, let me give the negative example. We were just talking about this in the Discord today. 
Uh, we have a group that plays uh, games every week with each other, and they kind of like do little session reports. They played through like all of Jaws of the Lion and a bunch of other like campaign games, and they've been playing Madara. And Madara, I think, has some great stuff going on, but I think it is a little simplistic of what you do on your turn because it's not really like cool down for your abilities. So you can pretty much just like move and attack, move and attack, move and attack, move and attack. And uh, same thing I felt about Descent Definitely. Legends of the Dark, third yep. edition. Like they tried to pretend that it was interesting with the fatigue system and it wasn't. And you just moved and attacked or just attacked and attacked. Yeah. Uh, so dull. <laughs> so you need to have something going on. You can achieve it through uh, card play like Gloomhaven, you know, and a lot of other ones that do that. You can achieve it through interesting cooldown and abilities like the upcoming uh, Oath Sworn is one that does that really well. You can achieve it through Ascension Tactics, where you have uh, board control and like the tactical puzzle of where you want to be changes from turn to turn instead of just moving next to each other. I'll compare it. Another negative example is uh, a D&D campaign, Dungeons and Dragons. If any of you, I'm sure a lot of you played Dungeons and Dragons before. A Dungeons and Dragons campaign before you've unlocked all your cool abilities and when you don't have a, gu- a dungeon master that knows how to make interesting and unique combat encounters. If it's just like, I'm a fighter, there's three goblins, I walk next to the goblins and we take turns rolling D20s, when your tactical game devolves into that, which is most commonly going to happen in dungeon crawlers and arena games where they don't have like the area control or other interesting things going on, the second you hit that, I'm done. I'm bored. Like, get me out of there or give me something else. Give me some card play. Give me some like uh, resource management. Give me some cooldowns. Something to make the puzzle more interesting. Because I-, I need something additional in tactics. I, I think you're on the same page, Peter, because I know we've designed uh, one of our t- dungeon crawler games yep. with this idea in mind. But but where do you fall on this? Well, and, and that's where I want to go. I think when we started trying to design, it was an arena combat game at first. Mm-hmm. It's our game Spare Parts, which hopefully will be ready to come out next year. Who knows? But when we designed that, when we originally played it, it was the most boring thing ever. Because literally... Like, even when we, we like, all right, let's do a ranged character against a melee character. So it'll be interesting, right? And then the ranged character would just back up and then shoot. And the melee character would just run up and then attack. And then it was like, well, wait a minute. And, and I mean, that could literally be what every game devolves into, right? It's like, just move and attack, move and attack. And it's just, it's not interesting if there's not a reason you're moving and attacking beside to get out of range or get back in range, right? That yo-yo game isn't interesting. I mean, it can be to some degree if you like pin somebody in the corner or something else, or if there's like backstabbing, if you move around them or, you know, some kind of positional advantage, or there's a reason to be faster because of something like that. Or maybe I move twice this turn instead, you know, and then attack, you know, if I, I, I think also the more actions you give somebody and the more varied attacks, I mean, that's the one thing I think we did well on spare parts is like you can attack like four times a turn move four times a turn do anything in between and you want to be at different ranges for all those things so i think Mm. there's a tactical puzzle in and of that in and of itself but i think when we also started adding board effects that made you want to go do something it's like okay well i don't have exactly what i need this turn so maybe instead of running up and attacking like i normally would maybe i go back and i activate this thing which does something else which will give me a bonus later in the game or do some damage to him now maybe this is the thing i need to do and i think ascension tactics did a good job again with those treasure chests and giving you just slight other options which aren't just go stand on this point or go attack i think the more of those things you add in into the game, the more options you're adding variety in tactics mm. just by changing board positions. And 
I think we took it a step further when we changed spare parts from an arena combat game into a dungeon crawl game mm-hmm. where every mission we're like, okay, how do we make this different than anything else we've done before? How do we make every single mission unique and varied? And so I think there are cool ways to do stuff like that. I don't think every dungeon crawl does. I don't think everybody thinks about that ahead of time. Now, maybe your game's more story-based or whatever else, but I still think if you're making a tactical combat game, that the tactics should be fun. Yeah, and I mean, I think Tidal Blades 2 also did this well in the scenarios that we played, at least on the stream, in that it's just adding that little thing, like adding that little element. It doesn't need to be something huge. Yep. Like Tidal Blades had picking up the fruit. You know, you want to go slightly out of your way to get the fruit. And it had, like, saving the villagers. It had destroying the crystals for the boss. Like, some reason to not stand still (laughs) is often all you need. And and the more dynamic it is, at least for my taste, the better. Uh, Look at a Super Fantasy Brawl, the one that I mentioned earlier, for an arena combat game. The uh, goals are changing every turn. You're adding more. You're completing some. So now I want to be next to the blue statue. Now I want to be next to the red statue. Now I want to be next to the yellow statue. And the the intersection of those interesting movement choices in regards to the board state, combined with making sure your attacks are effective against the enemies, that's where stuff gets crunchy and delicious and interesting and engaging. And when you don't have any of that, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if the totality of your like interesting tactical combat is my character attacks at range two, and your character attacks at range three. So I want to move so that I'm at range two. And you want to move so that you're at range three. <laughs> right. I mean, the, and the thing is, that can still work. But that's when you need to bring in cards and resource management to make up the difference. If that's all you got, that's okay. But have a Gloomhaven system. Have the sent second edition. Again, forget third edition, Legends of the Dark, poo-poo. Uh, but like the sent second edition, <laughs> you know, had like fatigue. So you could like spend stuff that would also power your abilities to move in minute ways when you needed to. And it was already more interesting and the combat became a little bit more dynamic. Or if you want to go a different way, again, kind of more on the dungeon crawler side of things, if you are going to have very basic stuff where you're hitting people, then make those enemies have the lowest amount of health possible and put them all over the place and have them do interesting stuff. Because at least then you have to keep on moving to kill the different people around the other thing to do in Dungeon Crawlers, and I know not everyone uh, likes this, <laughs> but this is a way to make the tactical puzzle tend to be more interesting, is a timer of some kind. If I have forever and no new enemies are spawning because uh, consistent spawning is a form of a timer, right? Because your resources are getting beaten down yep. as these things spawn. If, uh, if nothing is happening and I can just, every time an enemy pops up, I can take my time and kill this enemy, stand in front of them, swing, swing, swing five times, you're dead. You're going to get the same problem, you know? So... Timers can be abused. Timers can be unfun in how they do it. Like, I think Bloodborne is one that went a little too far in the timer being too strict. And I kind of have a house rule to have the most fun with that game. But I think timers are another way to keep the tactical puzzle interesting because what would become a static combat situation suddenly becomes more dynamic because you have to keep on moving. You have to keep on pushing forward. You have to find ways to both kill and advance. And I I think that's uh, that can make the difference sometimes as well. So Raphael says, uh, in Too Many Bones, you have the dice management and push your luck. And he reminds us also the timer in Too Many Bones at the end as well. So is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, uh, Too Many Bones is interesting in that this is one of my favorite games. So I, I know I <laughs> play it more than Peter does. It's uh, that the combats are very discreet and very quick. So even when the tactical puzzle sometimes becomes a little bit stale, 
that combat's going to be over in two more minutes. You know what I mean? And then the new one will be like a new mix of enemies. You might have leveled up and gotten a new skill. Um, but also, uh, Raphael, Too Many Bones has, yeah, like you said, the dice management and the exhausting of abilities. Now, I will say Too Many Bones uh, falling or failure can come in when, and this is something we've discussed multiple times in the past, especially when you're fighting the shorter tyrants and you can just really focus on attack and defense. Too Many Bones is a not <laughs> nearly as interesting game when you have like five attack and four defense, and you're just moving and killing things and you're not having to use skills. And you're not having to exhaust stuff and you're not having those like unique abilities coming into play. Um, th- that's the worst way to play too many bones. But when you're doing dice management, when you have the timer, like really breathing down your neck with the fatigue rounds, I, I think too many bones can be a really good tactical experience. Another one I'll bring up while we're on chip theory, Peter, you can speak to this original Hoplomachus rise of Rome, especially the solo co-op mode was it that great tactically? It's like the enemies are just kind of like moving dumbly towards you and you're just setting up your kill zones and taking them down. But I think uh, Victorum with the varied arenas, you remember those, Peter, like the, yep. the steps you're climbing or like the walls moving in the Amazon one. I think that's a great example of taking a system that worked okay and adding in these consistent environmental effects like we're talking about that make the tactics just more interesting and more varied. Fight the fight. I don't want to do the exact same thing. Descent, third edition. I feel like I was yeah. doing the exact same thing for entire multiple scenarios in a row. Sorry I'm beating up on that game. I've definitely gotten more negative on it as time has uh, passed by. But uh, yeah. Well, and the other thing I think Hoplo does, and this is part of the reason for me, Hoplo, even though I think it's more simple and maybe too simple for you, the thing it does better than too many bones in my mind now, maybe not in the base game, you know, the base solo game, but in, as you said, the expansions, not even just this newest one, which is solo only, but a lot of those arenas had been out before. They give you objectives for the mission. And I think every good co-op game does this. And maybe this is just a co-op thing, not even just a tactics thing, where am I going to focus on killing an enemy which is like the immediate fire in a lot of games. It's like, okay, do I put out the fire in Flashpoint Fire Rescue? Do I cure diseases in Pandemic? Or do I focus on my end game goal, which is getting this objective to get me victory points? And any good game has those... I I think that's where interesting tactical choices come in. When you're like, okay, I have these three things I can do. doesn't need to be 50, but it needs to be more than one, which is get in range and shoot, right? Like there has to be something more interesting than that involved in it. Um, And so I think that's where some of these games fall flat is they're not giving you interesting choices. I, I mean, I'll even say in Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, I had the Demolitionist, right? And a lot of his cards involved blowing stuff up, but some missions just didn't have enough stuff to blow up, where I didn't feel like that was even a viable option for me. So now I got this card, which is just like a move to card now, instead of the cool stuff that it's supposed to be. So if you're giving people cool powers, there better be cool ways to use it in each of your missions. And at least... You know, it doesn't have to be like some missions you get 50 times to use it and other times you get one. There should be at least four or five times a game where you can use it when you have some kind of a cool ability. And maybe some games it comes up more often than others. But if you're giving people cool stuff, make sure they can use that cool stuff and make sure that they have decent number of choices where it's not just obvious. Well, this turn, I just got to go to range three. I think we talk about that. And I think people talk about that a lot in games. They go, oh, well, I didn't like this game because it had obvious choices. Like, I think giving people two or three choices and making, obviously, you know, maybe one better than another, or maybe they're not necessarily that much better. It's, you know, incremental differences, right? But at least you feel like you're making choices and having something to do. I think the 
the games like Descent have made mistakes in that they're just the choice isn't there. It's like, okay, I'm clearly going to move close to this guy and hit him with my hammer. Like, that's what my options are. I mean, even having something like back attacks or something or surrounding the guy, anything that adds to the tactical variety and and choices that you're making on your turn is going to help the tactics of the game. Yeah, no, I think that's a good call. I'm also reminded of the recent Red Dragon Inn uh, dungeon crawler that we covered. You had some abilities that you would use consistently, but they had cooldown being like enough of a deterrent and, you know, enough of like a thing that would take the abilities out that you'd have to kind of do different things each game. So yeah, I, I guess or, it does have choices and options and varied abilities or resources to manage. Uh, yeah. Well, and even to add on to that, what that game did that was great was it gave you an option to help you cool them down, right? It's like, okay, well, you don't have anything you really want to do. Focus on your cool down this turn. Or do I want to really get that cool ability again back quicker, but I'm sacrificing what I'm doing now to get that cool ability back quicker, right? I, that's choice. It's not the hardest thing to do in the world, you know, making those choices sometimes, but it is a choice. Whereas a lot of these games, I feel like, you know, you only have one or two choices each turn and they're not interesting in that game. Okay. Do I work on my cooldown? Do I do this? Do I focus on that enemy that's there? Okay. Do I slow play it a little bit here, even though I know it's going to hurt me in the long run, maybe I'll catch up because I'll have more abilities that I can use later on or whatever else. I just like when games you know, if it's a tactical game, those tactical choices should be interesting and there should be more mm. of them. That I guess, I guess that's the big thing that I keep coming back to. And I guess my final thoughts on the thing are, if you're going to give somebody tactical choices, give them enough tactical choices to make it interesting and make sure it's varied. And they're not just going to do the, like, there isn't an obvious thing. Go to range three and attack, as mm. you were saying earlier. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I'll just add on that. I mean, we are clearly have the same philosophy for this kind of thing. Um, I'll just add on that uh, in adding the choices Peter's talking about, it doesn't need to be like an ultra complicated game. Yep. Tales from Red Dragon Inn is incredibly straightforward. Tidal Blades 2 is very quick to play. And you only have, what, four cards in your hand at a time in Tidal Blades. And you're just putting them on this like little grid. So, yeah, I think you can achieve those choices and that interesting kind of uh, addition of tactical depth without overwhelming the players, without going to a Gloomhaven like 11 or 10 card hand where I got to consider all these like viable options and things, especially when I'm learning a character for the first time. Well, and that brought me to an interesting other thing because both of those games that you mentioned, Title Blades and Red Dragon Inn, have multiple levels of decisions. Your decision one for Title Blades, for example, is which card am I going to pick? Your decision two is where am I going to put it on this grid to activate what things? And decision three is how am I going to take those things that I now have, three movement, two attack, whatever else it is, and, and carry out my turn. And I think the thing Title Blades did that was great was it made them three different decision points. First, you pick your card. And Gloomhaven tries to do this, but I never felt like it succeeded as much to me. And obviously, I'm in the minority here. Most people love the tactical choices in that game. But I feel like I kind of made a plan at the beginning of the turn, and nine times out of ten, I stuck with it. Whereas Title Blades, I would pick a card with something in mind. And based on what happened before I got to my turn, a lot of times, that plan would change. And I'd put that card somewhere else, and it would do something completely different. Or I'd put it in the same spot, and I would do something different with it. And I I liked that it was micro decisions, so not any of those decisions was super hard. But each of them gave me a different level of depth and thought that I had based on changes to the board state. That's the other thing with tactics. You know, the changing board state really helps you feel like you're making interesting decisions. Whereas if the board state is too static, you know, 
I, I'm at range three, they're at range three, or better yet, I'm at range one, and they're, I'm melee, they're melee, we just sit there and bash on each other, right? And just roll, roll dice over and over again. I think the more the board state changes, I think the more the enemies move around and feel dynamic, I think the more interesting the tactics become as well. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, so make your tactical games better, everybody. <laughs> well, you can tell I'm passionate and, and about this are. one. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, go check out Ascension Tactics. Uh, Peter really likes it, and I thought it was uh, you know good in parts, and especially for competitive play and good for value. And uh, yeah, go play some great tactical games in general, I guess. Yep. And we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Well, thanks, everybody who's in the chat. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. Yeah. I'm on your right. No, I'm on your left. No, I'm behind you. I'm tactical. Oh, I thought you were like doing like an Avengers thing, like on your left, but I guess you're just, you're, you're just flanking me and now I have plus two damage. I'm dead. Well, see, <laughs> that's what I wanted you to think. I confused you. That's tactics, baby. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.